0: Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Glad to see you all today, whether you're here, in person or watching online. I'll go ahead and give this a shift over here for now. Um, super thankful to have you here today, and I, uh, I want to start today just by sort of maybe making a couple of important uh, comments about what we're doing today and why we're doing what we're doing today. So I hope you've been uh, encouraged by the time of uh, musical worship we've had, and certainly. Uh, I I pray you'll be challenged by the time of discussion that we're about to have, and that's uh, sort of where I want to pick up today. So uh, first of all, I just want to make explicitly clear that we're glad to have you. If you're sitting in a seat or watching us online, um, several of our folks are still doing that. And the thing that I always say at the outset of our time here this morning is that if you have – prayer request, a need, a concern, if something is going on in your life, obviously for those here in this room, you have an easy way to let us know that through those connection cards that are sitting on your uh, your benches. If you're online, uh, you can obviously take advantage of this too. Uh, You can call us, email us, text us, whatever. One of the things we really value about this time that we have together on the weekends is that we expect God to to work in our lives, to uh, convict us of his truth, to guide us into his grace. And that is something that might begin today, but certainly doesn't end today. So the Christian faith is not a one hour a week uh, adventure. It's actually just, it, this is a space meant to fuel a catalyze the time that we have in our natural spheres of influence as we leave this place. So keep in mind, at any point during our time this morning and throughout the week, we want you to know that we support you and what you're doing, and we want you to help you to grow in the grace of Jesus as you do it. So uh, I also want to say something very interesting. So last week, uh, if you were here or watching, you know that we celebrated our 10-year anniversary. Uh, It's kind of hard to believe that, Um, and most of you know I said I think that's what these two gray— uh, stripes are for, which, which, by the way, in the era of the mask, I, I have great empathy for my, my grandmother. remember when, when I was a much younger man, she would always complain about her perm when the humidity came out. So wearing this mask right now uh, actually makes my beard curl up into my nose. So I'm very sorry if I look like uh, the missing link today. But nonetheless, uh, <clears throat> I, I thought it interesting that I tell you this story. So I got up my usual time, as I do every Sunday, and I began to make my trek to worship, as I've done for the past 10 years. And I am not exaggerating a single iota of this. I was driving and was just about, I turned my blinker on, my right blinker on, and I was pulling into uh, the movie theater, which, <laughs> which in case you don't know, the Regal Theater is where we met for the better part of 10 years. And uh, you know, when the whole Corona thing came around, we had to move and obviously Regal is no longer open at this point. But I, I did think it was quite hilarious that I, Completely went to the place that we no longer meet at. So anyways, uh, just keep that in mind. We meet here now because I obviously forgot this morning. Uh, I want to make a couple of quick announcements too. Uh, Super excited to let you know a couple of weeks ago, student ministry, you know, we're sort of slowly regaining traction and trying to be smart about what we do and when we do it, but the student ministry has uh, is sort of b- born again, simply meaning uh, they have an official uh, meeting schedule from now through the end of the year for their times on Sunday. We typically have kids ministry and then our students actually have a wonderful classroom right behind the, it's one of these doors back here, but they have their own room uh, where they actually gather together on Sunday. So that's something really to celebrate the, the importance of developing uh, our young people. But not, not only that, just the fact that we have folks that really uh, care about students. It's very encouraging, uh, sort of the burden and the passion that I've been able to discuss with several of you over the years. And I just want to use this as a, as a gentle opportunity to let you know that there, there's a myriad of ways that you can serve Jesus, both in this place on the weekend and certainly throughout the week. And while I'm incredibly thankful that we're in this new environment where we've virtually eliminated 90% of the of the back and forth stuff we had to do at the theater. There still are meaningful things that you can do uh, to help us continue the mission of Jesus here. Things like greeting, obviously, you know, we've been very light regarding our media and our uh, worship. These are all things that we are going to begin slowly uh, implementing, uh, or re-implementing, you might say. So uh, if you have an opportunity to serve, I promise we will find a place um, to plug you in. And if you desire to be more uh, more Christ-like in your natural spheres of influence, going back to what I said a moment ago, um, we don't just serve for an hour on Sunday. We actually have incredible opportunities to be the light and life of Christ as we exit this place in, in the places that God has purposely put you all. Uh, we want you to feel that that is as legitimate a need as serving here is. So this is just uh, a gentle reminder to... Uh, expand your faith beyond Sunday because Jesus died so we could have uh, a robust life in him. And while that includes the weekend, it certainly does not limit our faith to him. So with that said, you can let us know that on those cards. You can call us or email us um, and let us know what's going on. If you have any questions about that or just want to know what some of those opportunities are, we'd love to share them with you. So today we're going to continue on in this, this sort of experimental vein that we began about a month and a half ago where we've introduced more of a a conversational element into uh, Sundays. It's not that I'm not teaching, I'm not sure what that poppin' is, but work with me. Uh, While I'm not teaching uh, like a 35 minute message in a block, what I've been doing is teaching portions of scripture. And then we've had some back and forth dialogue about what we have been discussing. And this is incredibly important because last week we began talking about the significance, the the importance and, and the misunderstanding of what community is, both in the church and and outside it. And so you might consider that we are having a a conversation about the theology of community. And we're gonna continue to use Acts chapter two, verses 42 through 46 as our main text over these next weeks. We'll spend a few weeks in this. I I have some places I wanna go and I'm sorta gonna run with the room. Meaning if if we uh, accelerate through what we're doing today, then we'll speed up a little bit. But if not, I don't want to compromise at all the importance of this discussion. So, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 46. We read this last week. I will reread it, and then we'll pick up our discussion. There, Luke, writing the book of Acts, is giving a description of the movement of Christianity in its very early days after the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he says, they, and by they, what he's talking about is the The beginning of the church, the rumblings of the church as we understand it today. They, the Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, this is an interesting text because, as I mentioned last week, it's a a text that is like if we could just read this and read no more in Acts, it paints the perfect picture of the way the body of Christ is supposed to function. Um, the challenge is that as you continue to move to the book of Acts, you'll find that um, the church immediately hits a series of hardships and has been doing so for the last two millennia. And so I just want to warn, first and foremost, in a, in a world that paints everything with an idealistic tone today, that there is some idealism in this text. But we, we need to be mindful of the fact that these are also relationships. And by relationships, I simply mean it doesn't stay perfect. There's difficulties and challenges and relationships as even some arguments at some points as the mission is being accomplished and I thank God that we've never really had any major issues like this, but I don't want you to hear this text and think. Well, I've never sold property to give to somebody else's need, that's not the point of this. I don't want you to feel guilty. What I want you to see is, is a healthy expression of community so that we can begin to understand and grow in these areas. And so I'll say one last thing before I introduce my first question this morning. This is especially important if you weren't with us. We, we talked a great deal last week about what community is, and, and in particular, the difference between community and meaningful community. These are two different things. And a couple of great examples you all gave were, uh, for example, you, uh, you could be a part of a bike club or uh, any, any type of extracurricular club where there is a common desire to participate in a certain hobby, right? But you could be a part of that and not necessarily have rich and meaningful community with people. You can be around people, but not necessarily in their lives. We talked about the workplace. Sometimes work, you know, you, you walk in, you punch in, you punch out, you go home, and it is a community. It is a gathered group of people, but there's not necessarily any type of, of meaningful connection there. And perhaps one of the most obvious ones, at least at least from observing the, the rapid growth of the subdivision culture in America, is that many of us live in what we call neighborhoods. They, they have really fancy names in the front of our neighborhoods. And what's interesting is that we live in a community called the neighborhood with a name, yet some of us don't know our neighbors. And the question then becomes is, is living in a neighborhood community or uh, without actually knowing who some of your neighbors are, without knowing those people. And so there is a very definite difference between community and meaningful community. And that is very true when it comes to the body of Christ. There's there's a host of ways ranging from uh, the Uber committed to folks who think that they don't need a church family at all today. They they have their own understandings of what community means in the body of Christ. And this is why it's important that we, uh, we listen to these things, we wrestle with them, but that we always know there's, there's objective truth in scripture that teaches us what the body of Christ is supposed to look like and why these things deeply benefit us. And so today we're going to pick up our conversation exactly where we left it off last week. And I had just begun to talk about, it's a very common word, even if you've never studied Greek, I had the fortune to do so, but uh, the Greek word ekklesia, okay, do any of you remember what that word means? It's used to describe the church today in in a very explicit way, but does anybody remember the basic definition of what the ekklesia is? I'm going to figure out which of you were sleeping last week, and you can text it online too. Fellowship, yep, that was one of the words. Ecclesia. I want you all to know I'm totally comfortable with silence. <laughs> <laughs> like we can stay. <laughs> <laughs> the gathering, right? It means the the or a gathering. Common name for a church would be a Congregation, right? Those are the two most explicit words that come in the definition of ecclesia. Ecclesia, the or the doctrine of ecclesiology. This is these are what we believe are the tenets of what the Bible says about the church stem from this word. So, if you were to search ecclesiology today, or open up any kind of um, uh, book about the topic, what you'll find is that these are the cumulative truths that let us know. What the church actually is, what it's meant to do, who it belongs to, and what our role is in it. And so, a, a an ecclesia. So you know, while this word is used in the Bible, it is not limited to the church. We, we as Christians today, this this word, you know, this fancy ministry is named after it. This word, sort of, you'd almost be led to believe that when the Bible says ecclesia that it only means the gathering of the church, but that's actually not true. The word ecclesia simply meant a congregation or a gathering. And so that, that really, any congregation of people could qualify as, as an ecclesia. you know, people that were going to a seafood festival, or I don't know, folks that were part of, you know, it's the first century world, a lot of sandals, a sandal club, something like that, whatever it was, that, that group of people united around something that was common was considered an ecclesia, and so I, I kind of want to ask you this: what are the, what are some of the modern day examples of ecclesia let 's not talk about the church for a minute. What are some of the modern day examples that you guys see of, of ecclesia let 's not even begin in the walls of the church um, or the, the body of the, the family let 's begin with what what we see today as very common or popular or even controversial ecclesias, because our culture is loaded with them. Yeah, I'm not saying that in the Bible the ecclesia is not referring to the people of God I'm just saying in Koine Greek which is common Greek ecclesia is a general word when in, put in context in scripture it refers to the church but it was also a, a deep reference to political parties in the first century world first century world. so you could have ecclesias of a politics so I'm not arguing that the ecclesia uh, is not the body of Christ I'm just saying that what makes the ecclesia the church in the Bible is that it's said in the context of the Christian faith, but there were plenty of ecclesias and extracurricular biblical writing shows us this. There were other common groups of people surrounded by common motifs or ideas that were also ecclesias. I'm not saying that um, everybody's the ecclesia. What I'm saying is that in the Christian context, this is the ecclesia, right? But, but it wasn't just limited. This is not simply a, a word relegated to the, to the realm of Christianity It actually is a generic, noun in the Greek that applies to any gathering. We just can deduce as Christians that in the context of the book of Luke, uh, which is beginning to talk about the rapid expansion of the gospel from uh, basically from Judaism to the Gentile world, the ecclesia is moving towards this type of body. But I actually think it's very important, and I'll explain why in a moment, that we recognize there are other ecclesias in the world that have absolutely nothing to do um, with, with Christianity. They are other gatherings. So in the same way, we, we couldn't say today that the word gathering is solely relegated to the Christian world. And there are... I, 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 no, I can't go with that. You're going to have to give me proof of that because I just, you know, having graduated from a Bible college, yeah. I have never seen that and I have never seen that thought, ever. Okay, well, let's, let's work through this and see if you agree at the end. So the word gathering, I mean... The word gathering, let me ask you this, and then we'll, we'll continue to funnel here. Do you think the word gathering or congregation only applies to the church today? Could the word congregation be used in another context? Uh, congr- yeah, if you congregate, it depends on your conjugation of the word. Okay, gathering the same way. Is, it, is that a fair statement? Okay, well, in the lit- What's that? the word Congress You kinda almost touched on it like political. Okay. Yes. government, they have Yeah, so you're seeing Kong, right? There's, there's sort of a root word there, which in American politics, the Congress refers to an assembly of people, right? So that is a congregation. Um, it's not a congregation that revolves around the identity of Jesus Christ, but it is a congregation that revolves around, at least in theory, if you watch the news, you'll see this is not the case anymore, but in theory, that group of people is supposed to, or they are supposed to help the country better it, itself, okay? Yeah, but it's never called an No, right. The word ecclesia, though, simply means gathering. So just give, give us a minute to work through this, and let's see if you still are okay with this, all right? So what are some modern examples of gathering? A concert. The gym. The gym. Rally. A sporting event? Did I hear rally? No. Okay, what else? Clubs such as like meeting the the Kiwanis or the you know the Moose or fraternal organizations who get together. Okay. So now you're beginning to talk about like uh uh th- this would be a very specific type of club so some of these things are absolutely gatherings they're act- a- absolutely congregations of people but like uh in the in the olden days like the knights of columbus or the elks lodge the the masons these are all gatherings of people right that are sort of they, they commit to a set of uh rhythms and values that no, Formal. right formalized Okay. So you're bringing up the distinction between a formal gathering and an informal gathering, right? So like, hey, we all go to supper, and that, that actually is a gathering, right? But that, that group could just be a random group of people getting together, or possibly folks maybe that, you know, have known each other since junior high school, and they're, they're, they're a much deeper gathering than just the actual, the meal itself. Okay. How about, I mean, I'm just going to say it. Can we say that in today's modern world, the ecclesia, like, we, more than ever, we, we see some entrenching today with uh, political partisanship. Is that pretty fair to say? Right? At least in my lifetime, I've never seen it so vitriolic. So it's another great example of, of GAT to gatherings of people with diametrically opposed ideas who Oh yeah. Okay, Okay. so here you're bringing up, we might even almost say like an evolution of community where traditionally or historically, at least up until eight months ago, when we thought of gathering, not that that, not that tools like Facebook or social media have not Changed how we get together for sure. They've almost created a digital reflection of the physical world but what you're talking about now is um, And this is actually very true if you look at any of the any of the sociological writings of today This is even true with the modern church Um, There there's a greater amount of people either Identifying solely with with internet type of relationships um, or they uh, they have sort of lost their fervor for the the church meaning like the past eight months sort of proved to them that they, there was not much that they thought was of value anyways in, in the ecclesia, the congregation, the gathering. But you bring up an interesting distinction, and this is sort of where we're moving today. That is, folks now that have maybe physically replaced, like completely replaced their physical relationships and have become comfortable with, like on Sunday we know the consumption of sermons is like astronomical. Uh, I think about like 40% of people that were uh, surveyed, this is according to a Barner report, just about we're watching multiple teachings throughout the week. And so not only do you have community moving from the physical to the digital, but you have it further decentralizing where you're, you're getting eight teachings, but not necessarily uh, in community with anybody to the place where you could process or live out that, that, uh, that, that teaching. Yeah, so community is, not, is no longer restricted to the physical. Whether we like it or not, that is, that is part of the modern world, but it does raise questions about whether or not that is, the, um, that is enough when it comes to Christianity, and if you want my honest answer to that, it would be, it would be no. Now, here's, here's sort of where I wanna take ecclesia general noun and ecclesia in the context of the church. We've identified that there, there can absolutely be things we do, right, that are gatherings, correct? That are groups of people that are united around a common goal or a common geography. This is what we talked about last week. A common set of purposes um, or, or values. You know, we have two diabetic children. The JDRF. That's a great example of a gathering, a congreg- uh, It's it's a it's an ecclesia. It's a congregation of people that are committed to giving money and time into solving juvenile diabetes. Is it reasonable to say that that there are competing ecclesias in our world today? Yes. Okay, and I'm not saying that they're all wrong. What I am saying is that we have an interesting question here that begins to tap at the root of our identity, and that is, let me just pose the question. What, no, let me rephrase it. Is it okay for somebody who is professing faith in Christ, is it okay for them to have an ecclesia that is more important than Jesus' ecclesia? Okay. Why not? I see a lot of heads shaking. No, but I want to know why. Why? Because a lot of people, um, a lot of people might agree with that verbally, um, like what I said, but then they live in, in a way that's very, very contrary. So let's talk about this. Yes. Okay. And I think that's kind of an example of how are you living loudest? Are you living loudest as a Christian, or when people look at you and what you talk about and what you, you know, post on your social media, are there other things that speak louder than Christ? Okay, very, very valid point. We're not at all, and correct me if I'm wrong, we're not saying that uh, putting a sign in your yard about who you want to be is wrong, but it can become a problem if that... <laughs> if that becomes more important than the pursuit of Jesus with the family of God. Excellent, another example. Well, this, we're not actually having a conversation about the political issues of the day, um, because they're, yeah, yeah. But I, I think what, what's coming out here is the distinction between, um, for example, you use what, what is loudest, and I've seen um, some really nasty stuff on social media from both sides of the camp. And I do think uh, addressing the issue of abortion is not what we're, we're talking about today. Um, although if you need to know where my position is, I am absolutely for uh, the sustenance of life from cradle to the grave. But I think the point here is that, especially with this, the point I'm trying to make is there are places where, where other names are more important than the name of Jesus Christ in our lives. And I think it would be undeniable today to not at the very least examine the political environment that we're that we're living in. It's part of the world that we're, we're here. It's a very, very tumultuous time in America. And while we are all given the rights to vote and do what we want to do, um, the question is, which Ecclesia trumps the Ecclesia? Did you say Trump? <laughs> uh, I did, with no pun, with no pun intended. I'm just trying to and buy. <laughs> so I, I'm not at all trying to zero into politics as much as I'm saying, if I, as your pastor, was more passionate about being a Republican or a Democrat than I was about Jesus, something would be off about that, right? Something should be off about that. If I, as your pastor, was more committed to a bicycling club than I was this ecclesia, something is a little bit off about that. Because if I proclaim with my mouth that Jesus is my Lord and I've committed myself to his body, that does not even mean that all these other ecclesias are bad. It just means that there, there is a bit of a priority scheme in how we understand our role in them. And uh, so I don't want to go too far into this because I want to have a little more dialogue here about this before we sort of address the last question I want to throw out. But what are some other ecclesias today that can, some some other congregational or event type things that can, um, when I say compete, I don't mean they're bad, but I mean maybe we might use the word that that can distract or tip the scales in a way that's actually unhealthy to where our faith with Christ begins to suffer. than their need to be part of of a weekly ritual where they join together with other believers, they fed their spirit. I'm not saying that we're not Packer fans, because we are diehard Packer fans. (laughs) But my allegiance to my football team is definitely a lower priority than my allegiance to Jesus and my commitment to say, yeah, I need to be with my church family. Okay, so you 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 keenly identify sports, which um, sociologically has been identified like as a religion, simply meaning a lot of the writing about it says that it is almost the... If you were to take like a very committed sports fan and take their life and swap, swap the, uh, the, the, the team, I don't know what that is, but thanks, Abe. And swap the name of the team with the name of Jesus, you'd have almost the perfect, the perfect Christian because of the loyalty rhythms that are there. Like they'll spend $3,000 to get to a playoff ticket and they'll call in sick at work. They'll put everything in the back to be in front of that TV to watch that game or to be there, right? So you're right, sports. And again, you know, I'm like a diehard Yankee fan. Um, I love sports. I watched a video one time uh, it was a YouTube video of this happened in Boston, of course, because Yankee fans are civil, but uh, I, I watched I, I watched a Yankee fan walking down the street and some dude with a Boston hat just knocked him out, a bunch of right in the head knocked him out. And I thought, well, I want the Yankees to win, but like not that bad. You know, like that was like a complete violation of what, what, why would somebody do that? It's an interesting question. Why would there be such a, a passionate affinity, a pursuit of this team that it would want you to that it justifies the, the insensible hurting of another human being. There's some commitment there, right? But it's not the kind where we're trying to farm out. So sports, undeniable, um, a, a wonderful thing. I played them when I was in school. I watched them today. But they certainly can subordinate Jesus, especially because of the football itself in the time frame. Uh, what else? educational institutions, so like your high school, <coughs> you know, like we all have a, you know, there's a reason that we either go to reunions or maybe avoid them like to play, <laughs> but like I'm like, I know for me I went to a um, uh, I guess you'd say maybe medium-sized Catholic high school and um, where it was K-12, through 12, and so a lot of us are still in touch with each other there's a, there's a definite community there um, that is um, just because the uniqueness is growing up in that, in that space at that time. But I think that carries on with like, you know, high schools and colleges um, you know, organizations within those, you know, like campus ministry or you know, football team or whatever. Okay, so particularly when it comes to colleges, you're talking about almost like a uh, or education, there there is a great level of pride sometimes in our alma maters, right? The, uh, we've gone to Auburn, or you know whatever it is. The, there is there is an interesting um, cultural dynamic that develops out of that, and somebody very deeply wants to be associated um, with with that. There's some level of of pride or happiness uh, that is uh, that is there. So, excellent. Take let me take one more here. Obvious first commandment that tells me, oh yeah, maybe you're paying too much attention to fill in the blank, the club, work, politics, golf, whatever it may be. First commandment kind of redirects it, or even as I'm shaving and realize. Okay, so you bring up an interesting distinction, and you know my rule on this. I, I'm holding a handheld mic. I'm Italian, I'm not gonna be able to talk because I, I, I'm gonna swing this hand around and try to keep this one here. But th- this is sort of where I wanna, I wanna move us to. And that is that I don't, uh, especially when we begin to talk about mission in a few weeks, I don't want us at all, I don't want you to take away from what I'm saying today, is that being engaged for example, in athletics or caring about a college education or being passionate about your job or having hobbies, that any of these things are wrong. In fact, I, I would argue strongly, if you look at the incarnational life of Jesus, it's imperative that you all be in those circles. But you recognize that God has put you there in order to, to release the light and life of Christ into the world. In other words, the, the, the church's response to events and things 20, 30 years ago was sort of like to, to extract, we used to call this missional extraction. The idea was like the deeper you fell in love with Jesus, the more it meant you would walk out of everything. And don't get me wrong. There are definitely areas of our life that Jesus sanctifies and we need to leave behind. But what that turned into for some folks was they tolerated their job or their people, their friends that were non nonbelievers. They, they never really recognized there was a purposeful reason from the very beginnings of Genesis to the end of Revelation that God has put his people in the world. Uh, if you look at the earliest commands to Israel, they're commanded to be a blessing to the nations. In other words, they're put on earth to reveal the goodness of God, uh, the fact that God, God cares about the world. And the same is true the New Testament church. Um, while we might gather in a room like this and have community groups throughout the course of the week, we, we leave these rooms and eventually go to places where people who do not know Jesus or don't care about him, whether that's benevolently or in a malevolent way, there are people there whom we are called to be in relationship with, to, to help see and understand our faith. And so don't hear me saying um, that, that we should not be engaged in other things. The question I wanna pose this morning, and I'll, I'll give you an example, and this is how we'll wrap up, is the danger of those other things actually replacing, like Revelation would say, our, our first love. And that typically happens in a very slippery way. Nobody ever gets up and says, I'm going to, that, that is at least attempting to pursue Jesus. Nobody ever gets up and says, you know, I'm going to try to follow something more intently that isn't Jesus, like it's Jesus. It never works that way. There's usually a subtle sort of migration that takes place. Okay, So a couple of years ago, um, I want you to envision this with me. Um, I, I was watching a... Um, I, I actually watch people speak a lot, because I'm very creepy, I'm just kidding. Uh, because uh, I think there's a great value in in looking at how people engage audiences. And I watched, this was four years ago, maybe five years ago, um, it was one of the last keynote addresses that Steve Jobs gave before he passed away. And what they had, if, if you were to have watched this, and you can actually go watch this on YouTube if you want to see what I'm talking about, is they were in a big auditorium with dim lights. There were a ton of people there. And YouTube was actually, it began with YouTube playing a bunch of music. They were doing their thing. And then, and then when the music was done, um, Steve Jobs got up and started talking. And then they were, you know, typically we have projection and slides. All that stuff was happening. And I watched this whole thing. It was about an hour and a half. And about halfway through it, I muted it. And, and I thought to myself, this looks like a church service. It's a bunch of people listening to music and then hearing a guy talk. Like that's the most remedial and sort of derogatory way I can describe the church. But it is one of the most common expressions we have of it today. And so I want to ask this question. Um, that literally, like if you didn't know who any of those people were, and I, I mean, let's just say you had absolutely no context for who you two uh, are as a band, uh, or, or who Steve Jobs was. If I played it and muted it, you could legitimately think. And, and I said, hey, "This is a cornerstone church in Tennessee. There'd be really no way to delineate between it because the expression is identical." So my question is, what distinguishes this ecclesia from that one? What 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 does it mean when we speak about community in the context of the pursuit of Jesus? Why? Why can we even view something that is doing the identical same thing we are doing, but there's something distinctly different about why we're doing what we're doing? The, the content, the content what, okay. what, what they're following, what they're um, you know, portraying, what they're saying, and where they're getting the information from. Okay, so we're talking about this, the substance of that that meeting, right? Okay. Which, when you turn the volume on, this the substance is obviously, right, they're obviously not um, teaching from the Bible or reading the book of Acts. The, the the verbal stuff is trying to sell products, okay? So there's a visible distinction in, in what is being spoken about. What else? Well, God should be first in prayer. Okay. Okay. So we rightly assume that in an ecclesia like this, our, our greatest... Our greatest job is to is to worship Jesus on these Sunday mornings, right? It's to, I don't mean to, this to sound like trite, but it's to, to really honor and glorify our God, to grow more deeply in him. Uh, through, the, through the music we hear, we're not just singing catchy tunes, we're actually singing truths uh, embedded in theology that help us to love Christ more. So there's, there's even a difference in, in the elements of, they might look the same, um, like when somebody introduces somebody, Uh, That's very different than the way, for example, that aid prays in between our our worship time, musical time, and teaching time. So content and substance, critical. What else? What distinguishes a keynote speech from this? Bingo. Okay, so the presence of the Holy Spirit. Here's an interesting one. Uh, Here we are reading reading this text on the heels of the coming of the Holy Spirit, right? This is the, the day of Pentecost. And what you have now is an invisible substance. We, we are not just bound together in that ecclesia. what binds everybody together is the excitement about what Apple is gonna make us pay too much for this year, right? We're gonna get taken by spending a bunch of money on an iPhone. That is, that's what the excitement and the love and the passion is about. But here, there's, there's something very different that binds us together and that is, not only our love for Jesus, but the fact that he has bound us together through the power of his Holy Spirit. So there's not just, it's not even just external actions. There's something deeply happening in our hearts right now in the way that God is communicating to you as we're having uh, this discussion and certainly when you leave this week. So there's a theological significance about, we might say who is also present at a meeting like this or in our hearts. Uh, uh, we have the full presence of the Trinity with us and we certainly know within us the the Holy Spirit until Christ returns. Excellent, what else? So now we're coming back to what most of you talked about last week, the goals, the, the objectives, the, the things that bind us together. And it is fair to say, at least I believe it is, you may disagree certainly if you don't believe so, but it is fair to say that what, when we talk about the body in the context of scripture, the, this ecclesia, the many that are meeting around the country and world right now, and then uh, you know, I always say the difference between the lowercase c church restoration and the capital c church. Uh, the men and women of of God, past, present, and future, the capital C Church. Um, when we speak about this ecclesia, there are things that distinguish it from an apple meeting. Correct? It has to be. Otherwise, um, we we'd have a problem. And i want to introduce. Actually, let me ask. Uh, we're going to just throw these out here, and then this is where we're going to be heading next week. But do any of you remember? There are there are three key things Acts tells us what the substance is of of this this meeting what people were observing. Let me reread it to you and then I'll ask that question again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts together. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Now, there's three main things that come out here. There's some sub ideas too that come out, but this is, feel free to just pop them out. What what are the distinguishing marks that we see in this Acts 2 fellowship? What makes this different than um, the other gatherings we spoke about this morning? Okay, so there's a, a sacrificial, we would say radical generosity here, right? And again, my goal is not to make anybody feel guilty here, but what's happening here is there, there is a, a cognizant recognition of the fact that there is need around them. And these folks, these people being observed by the, se- the first century world are greatly sacrificing at their own cost important things to be able to meet the needs of other people. So sacrificial generosity, which finds its root in the nature and the character of who our God is. essentially. We, we can trace every one of these things back to the cross. The nature of the cross is Jesus giving us his all, knowing he would never get that fully back in return, yet he still does it. So that that's a critical theme in this in this text. What else? Community breaking bread together, because important to Jesus. I mean, the last supper, that was his last meal with his disciples, and that's very important to him. Okay, so the breaking of bread, right? Uh, if you've ever wondered why we're even having a discussion about community, this is why. Uh, this this element here, like community groups, for example, we break bread in my home. We've been doing it in my backyard just to keep things safe. But there, there, is, a, there is a relationship that includes this but far transcends this, right? Meaning they're meeting not just in formal spaces, they're also meeting in informal spaces. They're, they're breaking bread and being with each other. And think about this, if you want a mind bender, um, Jesus' last will and testament was not to actually have the largest worship gathering on earth. He literally put 12 people at a table and broke bread with them this is how we observe communion which by the way we will be doing next month it took forever but i we can't do communion in the traditional way i had to i had to find i hate these things those little fast food things you know where there's like a sealed cracker and a sealed piece of uh, sealed cup of juice we're going to use those so that we can avoid community um, transmission so you're going to get wendy's communion but nonetheless it's time we're, we're long overdue for communion but think about that that's the that's one of the last images jesus wanted the world to see his, his gathering. These, these people that were together and, and just in love with Christ, sitting around him, listening to him and growing with him. Yes. Talking about the church growing, the numbers grew. Our um, purpose here is to bring um, more people to Christ to Get the message out to other people so that they can live. Yes. So what's interesting about this is Uh, While I'm confident there were there was communication about about this Jesus that they had learned to follow Um, There's actually like a really strong observation tone here. Like what's happening is this people are seeing this actually uh, Abe and I he's just about to come up here, but we were talking about this this morning um, about learning to learning to help people see the beauty and the grace of Jesus meaning how do we how do we teach the Bible and pray in such a way where we really help people to see Jesus, and what happens is their, heart, their heart's affection beats for him. And that's what's happening here is people are seeing this, and they're wondering what's going on, and because of this, the Lord is adding to the number, meaning more people are beginning to follow this same Jesus. It's an amazing, uh, it's an amazing statement about even – it quantifies how we understand church growth. Conversation for another day. If you want to go out to an hour lunch with me that'll last nine hours, have a conversation about church growth. Interesting, interesting that they say that. What about, um, there's one other one that hasn't been brought up yet. Okay, prayer. Uh, so so they're, they're breaking bread and praying, which signifies there's an understanding of kingdom mission and the fact that they are bound together. What else? Okay, so there's a devotion to the teaching of the apostles. And what we see here is um, now all of these things we've talked about, this is the substance of our ecclesia, of the ecclesia, the, the, the teaching of the apostles. In other words, what's beginning to happen here is they are perpetuating the story of Jesus. And so you, you can very clearly mute an Apple keynote speech and mute a church service and recognize the difference between the two based on what we read in this text. There is something far more than just purchasing goods going on in a meeting like this. There is something far deeper than just hearing what somebody thinks we should look at or buy. The music, as great as it is, is intended to do something very different. What's happening here is. There is, there is an objective each one of these people has. They have devoted themselves to the teachings of the apostle. And if we were to just fast forward this, this is the, this is, of course, they don't have the full New Testament at this point in history like we do, but this is what's happening. As the New Testament is being written, as the story of Jesus is being recorded in the gospels and the epistles, this is the, this is the truth they've, they've connected their hearts to. And so they are objectively following Jesus' truth in community with each other breaking bread and prayer in other words they have found an ecclesia that allows them to be engaged in other things but not have those other things subordinate the ecclesia the one we're talking about today and so my closing challenge next week we'll, we'll talk about these elements a little more uh, substantially what it means to like what when it, when we talk about the 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 uh, devotion to teaching why it's important that uh, scriptural study is, is part of the epicenter of our faith, why it's important that generosity is part, of, uh, is part of our faith. We're going to look at these things sort of in detail, but for today, I just wanted to really highlight the fact that when we leave this place, every one of us is, is connected to something, and we just want to make sure that whatever we're connected to doesn't trump, um, again, no pun intended, doesn't trump, <laughs> The, the reality of what it means to, to have Jesus first in our lives. That should shape who we are, uh, how we see ourselves, and, and what we do. So uh, let, me, let me pray for us, and, uh, and then Abel will come up and just sort of end us. Uh, if you have questions about what we discussed today, if there are uh, anything, if you have any prayer, um, this is the time where will just play something for us to think, pray, and process. This is the time of what we call response. And I want to encourage you all to respond. If Jesus has spoken to you in some way, if you have uh, if you have a concern or a question, or you might even have a circumstance in your life right now that you require support for, we are here for you. So please use this time, uh, I like to say, to, to ask Jesus what he's saying to you and what you will do about it when you leave this place this week. Because remember, your faith doesn't end right now. It simply begins. You can take uh, those cards if you're here with us and those... Uh, gifts. This is also the time we receive our tithes and our offerings. So if you're a partner, we've uh, made a commitment to each other to support the restoration mission. Thank you for that Uh, fidelity. If you're visiting with us, we ask you uh, to do as the Lord leads. And if you're online, the principles apply in the same uh, way through e-giving. take those cards and those gifts, deposit them in these towers as we exit after this time of response and benediction. And I will obviously be at the back door if you want to touch base about, uh, about this discussion or where you are in your life. So let me pray and then we'll give it to you. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning, for this time we've had together. Thank you for a clear example of of your church, of the gathering of the saints. Even in its earliest form, we see that there are bedrocks that distinguish it from the, from the from any other type of gathering. And so I pray, Lord, that we would in our hearts let you assess, that you would speak to us, and that we would truly ask you where our priority structures are. Not so that we can feel um, as if we need to extract ourselves from the world, but so that we can sort of figure out how we can conduct ourselves in more meaningful and significant ways with your truth in our spheres of influence, wherever they take us this week. We pray now your peace and your mercy and your grace and the guiding hand of Jesus upon every single person in this room as they think, pray, and process what we have discussed this morning. And all this we ask in the name of Jesus. Thank you. thank you all for being here today. If you would, stand with me, and I'll give you our traditional benediction. As, as you go this week, remember um, that those of you in Christ have been placed into the, the greatest family the world has ever known. There are going to be people you meet in heaven that have been your brother and sister for a couple of thousand years, and you've not even met them yet because, because we yet to have, have yet to experience the ultimate form of Christian community, and that is when we reside with God permanently forever in this heaven. And so know, though, that right now God has given you everything you need, Loved and cared for, and has also asked you to be a person who loves and cares for all of us. And as you go, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father in heaven, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. Amen.